0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to AM Live. Thank you for joining me. Good to see everybody here. Hope your weekend is going well. All right. Well, let me start with just with a few words on the Ukraine proxy war. A few headlines here. This is from Newsweek from this week. War in Ukraine is pushing the last U.S.-Russia nuclear treaty off the rails. And what Newsweek reports here is that the last remaining treaty on the books between the world's top two nuclear powers, the U.S. and Russia, is called New Start. And it places limits on the nuclear weapons stockpiles of both countries. It almost expired under Trump, uh, and Trump was actually prepared to let it expire. Biden, the first move he did when he came into office was renewing it. But now the two sides have to face talks on on the next steps, whether the treaty will be even strengthened more to reduce even more nuclear weapons, which would be a good thing for everybody. And also, both sides, or actually Russia recently suspended inspections that have to happen as a part of this treaty. So basically, the last remaining nuclear weapons treaty is in peril. And right now, the two sides are not even discussing it which is a threat to us all. And the dangers of that, I think, are being um, thrown into sharp relief right now by what's going on in Ukraine at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant, which Russia has occupied for several months, and which has been the site of fighting between the two sides. And both sides accuse the other of shelling that plant and basically risking a nuclear catastrophe. Ukraine has accused Russia of wiring the plant with bombs and even shelling it which I find to be pretty unlikely, given that for Russia to be shelling the plant, it would have to be shelling its own troops that are occupying it. But regardless of what's going on, and I'm not there, so there's not much point in me weighing in on what's happening, it underscores the need for diplomacy and to resolve this proxy war, uh, to end it. But what is the U.S. doing? Uh, this week just announced another $700 million or so dollar weapon shipment. And, you know... All the talk of diplomacy there's a little there's a little peep from Rokana on the democratic side a month or so ago, but that's all gone away there's just nobody right now in Washington on the democratic party side in biden 's party calling for diplomacy and- and Republicans you know despite voting a few of them voting against the war aren't making this an issue either so there's basically no restraining force inside the u s political establishment right now in the Ukraine proxy war, except perhaps for the Pentagon, which has uh, made clear that it does not want to engage in a war with Russia. So that's the one restraining force we can possibly point to. But it's gotten to the point now where there's even the threat of a nuclear catastrophe. It seems very unlikely, but that's the problem with wars. Unlikely things can happen very quickly and things can spiral. And it's amazing that even with the threat of a nuclear disaster, still, that is not motivating people in Washington to rethink their support for the proxy war. And things got more dangerous, you you could argue, uh, with the killing in Moscow of Daria Dugina, who is the daughter of Alexander Dugin, who is a uh, Russian um, ideologue. Now, in the Western media, he's portrayed to be very close to Putin. From what I know about Russia, that's not true. From what I've heard, they haven't even met. And if anything, Dugin represents a political uh, spectrum in Russia that is actually far more hawkish than Putin. Dugin, for example advocated that Russia intervene in Ukraine right after the 2014 coup, basically uh, reverse the coup that happened that overthrew Viktor Yanukovych. And Vladimir Putin has always resisted that, wanting to see the Minsk Accords implemented. So Dugan represents a side of the Russian spectrum that I think Putin does not. Regardless, murdering his daughter, Dugan's daughter, who's a civilian uh, with a car bomb is a very serious escalation. And uh, Ukraine denies responsibility. But regardless, it shows that things are escalating everywhere, not just in Ukraine, but inside Russia as well. So these are just scary developments to pay attention to. All right, main topic of tonight is an article I published today at Substack, and I called it, "An FBI Versus Trump, the People Lose. So once again, we are being told that the walls are closing in on Trump. This time, the FBI has got him, they're investigating him for possibly mishandling some classified documents to the point where he possibly violated the Espionage Act. That's one of the acts that was invoked to justify the search warrant of his home. There's not a speculation about what those docs contain. Uh, There were reports that it contained uh, nuclear-related material, although that was very vague. William Arkin of Newsweek reported that the docs have something to do with Russiagate, I've also heard from my sources that the docs are Russiagate-related, but there's nothing I feel comfortable reporting in the absence of uh, some actual proof. So we can only speculate. So accordingly, it's, it's difficult to you know make a judgment on how much liability Trump has here. But what we do have is the last six years of the record to look at, which I think is pretty significant. It can tell us something. And for the last six years, there have been times when the national security state has tried to sabotage Trump for its own reasons, not because they care about, I think, the real dangers that he poses. Like, for example, him killing the INF Treaty, which was the second last nuclear treaty between the U.S. and Russia. Trump killed that treaty, thereby making the world a much more dangerous place. They don't care about that. They care about the fact that he's not good for their brand. He says the wrong things. He uh, says the truth sometimes, like when he says we're in Syria to steal the oil. And... On the campaign trail in 2016, he talked about cooperating with Russia. He also criticized U.S. military interventions abroad. And that alarmed people in the FBI who identify with confronting Russia and with uh, ju- and with en- enlarging the national security state that carries out interventions abroad. So for their own reasons, the FBI has repeatedly sabotaged or tried to sabotage Trump. And how has that gone? Well, in the case of Russiagate, they investigated Trump as a possible Russian conspirator an asset. They did so on the most ridiculous predicate I've ever seen in any criminal case ever, let alone one that involves a presidential candidate turned president. Uh, First, it was the case of George Papadopoulos, who's a Trump campaign volunteer. He suggested some kind of suggestion about possible Russian help, and that was enough in the FBI's eyes to justify opening up a crossfire hurricane. I think the real story is far different. I think the FBI relied on the Steele dossier, but regardless, even taking the FBI's official story at face value, The Russia investigation is the most baseless national security investigation, I think, in history. And what is crazy about that is after Trump took office, they even expanded it to open up a brand new case investigating Trump not only as a Russia conspirator, but an actual Russian agent. Uh, And this was authorized by Andrew McCabe in May 2017. And although we don't know exactly what the basis for that was because we haven't seen the opening case file, we do know from public reporting that the FBI was alarmed by public events, including Trump being friendly to Russia and joking about uh, Russia stealing Hillary Clinton's emails. So based on public events, the FBI apparently felt entitled to investigate a sitting president for conspiring with Russia. And because the U.S. media and much of the U.S. political class were so on board with that investigation, were either duped by it or complicit in it, there's been a complete failure to reckon with how ridiculous it was and how damaging it was. Until accordingly, when the FBI now targets Trump, it's just taken at face value that they must have something on him, forgetting that they investigated him with really the most ridiculous on the most ridiculous grounds, and of course came up completely empty. All that it's supposed to be forgotten to the point where even key officials who were intimately involved in the Russia investigation, like Peter Strzok, who opened the Trump Russia investigation for the FBI, uh, and privately texted that he hates Russians, called them savages and also vowed that he was going to stop Trump from being elected, he is now being trotted out in the media to assure us about the FBI's integrity. So let's listen to this clip from Morning Joe on MSNBC uh, with uh, Joe Scarborough speaking to Peter Strzok. Put that out there. The FBI makes mistakes. The church makes mistakes.
1: People make mistakes. They screw up. Uh, Should this be any reason... Uh, for Americans not trust that what the FBI and the DOJ are doing now is in
2: pursuit of protecting classified documents. Well, Joe, absolutely. The American public should trust what the FBI is doing. You know, what's funny is I think back the year and a half that I spent with the team looking at Hillary Clinton's use of a private email server. There was no concern. There was no outrage on behalf of any Republican as we used search warrants, as we went out and did a very invasive investigation to try and get to the bottom of what she did or didn't do. So it's not that the FBI is targeting any one side or the other. What you see is the FBI going out on a day-in-day-out basis objectively investigating allegations of law. It just so happens that the only thing that tends to come up in the right-wing ecosphere, whether in the media or on the Hill or from President Trump, are those things where they take a personal affront because it directly impacts them. There's absolute silence when the FBI is investigating former Secretary Clinton. There's absolute silence when the FBI is doing things that isn't targeting them. So I think this is a one-sided one-sided narrative that has been developed and amplified, particularly by President Trump, going back to 2015.
0: Okay, so that's Peter Strzok, the FBI agent who opened up the Trump-Russia investigation based upon a suggested suggestion from a low-level Trump campaign volunteer named George Papadopoulos. And I review that in my article, and I've reviewed it in previous articles, just how completely devoid of any evidence that Russia investigation predicate was uh, he's now assuring us that the FBI doesn't target one side or the other in the case of Hillary Clinton's email server I mean she did have a private email server transmitting classified material and did also send uh, emails while traveling abroad that also um, might have contained classified information which I think at least certainly warranted investigation to liken that to for example Peter Strzok's, or to equate that with Peter Strzok's decision to investigate Trump, as a Russian conspirator, based upon nothing, like literally nothing, uh, is a stretch to say the least. But that's what happens when you have no or very little accountability for the Russiagate scam. It, the people who perpetrate it are allowed to pretend that they're somewhat credible. And and again, Peter Strzok also privately texted that he had a, he had, you know, in his text, it's clear he had, a, he had a strong bias against Trump, Trump voters who he mocked, uh, and also Russia, who he called cheating MF and savages in his text messages to his uh, colleague and um, lover, uh, Lisa Page, whether both of the FBI. So that's basically the new Trump fixation. And of course, the cable networks are thrilled. This will help their ratings. But I think the rest of us lose because what happens when it's the national security state versus Trump? Well, Trump is bolstered in the eyes of his base. He gets to portray himself as a victim, which I think he is in this case, being. Or at least in the case of Russia, he was unfairly targeted. Uh, He also was uh, the target of multiple other national security state interventions. When, for example, the CIA leaked fabricated claims about Russian bounties on U.S. troops in Afghanistan and Trump's supposed inability to confront them. That was in the summer of 2020. That was used to help Joe Biden's campaign and also undermine a U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan, which Trump was planning to do back then. So that had a very damaging consequence uh, when it comes to the Afghan war. And then, of course, there was the Hunter Biden uh, laptop controversy when all of a sudden before the election, the FBI began investigating the possibility that this contents of Hunter Biden's leaked laptop were really just a Russian disinformation campaign. And in both these cases, the Russian bounty scam and the Hunter Biden as the Russian disinformation scam In both these cases, both of these intelligence fabrications were only admitted to be so long after the damage was done. So basically, after Trump had left office, that's when we were allowed to report in the media, oh, by the way, the Russian bounties thing, the Hunter laptop thing, yeah, those were uh, not what we said they were. So that's the state we're in. Trump is simultaneously bolstered among his base, and the national security state is legitimized to intrude in the democratic process. And for lefties, we saw one consequence of that when they turned the Russiagate playbook against Bernie Sanders in 2020, in the primary, when they came out with these evidence-free claims that Bernie was being supported covertly by Vladimir Putin. And the Bernie campaign, because they were so conditioned to follow Democratic Party orthodoxy, wherein you cannot challenge anything the intelligence community says about Russia, went along with it. They said we, we, we were brief, convincingly, and we trust the intelligence. So that's the situation we're in. It leads us to that when the FBI goes against you know, traditional targets of the national security state, such as black liberation activists, the long history of that going back to Dr. King and before him, you know, Fred Hampton, uh, there's no one in Washington to raise a peep. So recently, the FBI raided in St. Louis and St. Petersburg, Florida, the homes of members of the African People's Socialist Party based on the grounds that they were looking for materials part of an indictment of a Russian national who was supposedly covertly trying to influence U.S. politics. And they held people at gunpoint. They took materials. They used smoke grenades or or, uh, flash grenades and drones. And I'm going to let Omalia Shetela, who was one of the uh, African People's Socialist Party members targeted, he's actually the chairman of the party, tell it. Katie Halpern and I spoke to him this week split dates and this is just some of what he went through when the FBI raided his home in st. Louis in a very in a low income neighborhood very early in the morning
3: uh, I was actually preparing to go to the gym so we were just sitting and talking about things and suddenly out of the night uh, this loud uh, booming uh, voice saying that uh, we should come out the resident the, the people who were in this residence should come out with our hands uh, empty and our hands up and this is the FBI and at first, it was startling, and uh, we weren't quite sure if this message was directed at us or not, because occasionally if there's uh, something like a tornado coming through, you'll hear the sound that comes out, warnings, etc. So we were we were not sure what it was. We were here uh, right away, and the voice continued to come, and they actually used the specific address and said that people should come out with our hands up and our hands uh, empty, So, uh, and that uh, this is the FBI. Explosions uh, began to... Happened all around the house. These flashbang grenades were going off, and I was to learn later that they had actually penetrated uh, into the back stairwell in the house and had uh, had detonated these flashbang grenades uh, in the stairwell. And uh, but I didn't know at the time where it was coming from. And so I asked my wife, who's also a leader in, in our movement, uh, to uh, to let me go down first, and and she should get on the phone to contact people, let them know what was happening, that we were being raided. And uh, uh, she tried, but unsuccessfully, because they had jammed our phones, so we couldn't communicate with anybody. So I went down the stairs, and uh, as soon as I uh, uh, was exiting uh, the stairwell in front of the house, there was this armored vehicle, and I could see uh, these uh, camouflage-wearing uh, FBI agents, and I don't know who else there, and and bouncing off my chest or hitting me in the chest were several of these laser dots that come from automatic automatic weapons. So.
0: All right. I could play a lot more of that, but you get the picture. This is an elderly uh, Black activist who's been involved in activism for decades. He's 80 years old, describing an FBI raid on his home. And this is, you know, he's not charged with anything. He's being served with a search warrant. They could have just called him and said, hey, can we search your home? Instead, they raid an elderly couple's home with uh, drones and grenades and laser pointed weapons. And also jam their phones. And there's no one in Washington raising a peep about this. MAGA Republicans, despite them calling to shut down the FBI, no one is protesting this as far as I've seen. And Democrats, despite waving the banner of Black Lives Matter and calling for law enforcement reform, have nothing to say about this because this derives from the Russiagate playbook, which they are completely behind, where basically anybody deemed to be an inconvenience to the national security state is fair game, whether they're on the right in the case of a former president or or if they're on traditional targets of the FBI uh, especially black liberation activists and that is the playbook that we've normalized so i don't know what will happen with trump in this investigation maybe for the maybe the FBI finally has something on him we'll see but if the last 6 years are any guide i think the most likely loser is the public and the most likely winner is trump and his foes simultaneously inside the national security state. Okay, that's my rant. Let's take some calls. And uh, Pierre, you are first.
4: Hi, thanks for taking my call. Um, you know, I read your article and I read, and you say in the article that, you know, that there's an absence of any confirmed detail about the contents of the documents or the evidence from the DOJ but it's the fact that a federal court approved and Trump didn't object to the release of the warrant and the receipt of the items removed. And it revealed that they removed 11 sets of classified documents, including top secret documents. And, you know, this wasn't just reported out by MSNBC or whatnot. It was coming, it was reported out by outlets like the Wall Street Journal. Um, I think that, you know, the exact details by definition will not come out because they're classified documents and there needs to be a presumption of innocence um, when you handle investigations like that. Um, And, you know, that's not to say that he's guilty, you know, that's what a trial is for, but it's not baseless. And to compare it to Russiagate where even if you assume that everything uh, was out of thin air for that, you can't compare it to this. There's an evidentiary basis to it. Um, So I don't see that comparison um,
0: okay, the problem though, okay, but during Russiagate, there also were court-approved warrants, a lot of, uh, on Carter Page, and we later learned the FBI relied on fraud to get those warrants uh, by using the Steel dossier and failing to inform the court who was paying for it and also concealing, as we know now from the indictment of Danchenko, the Steel dossier's apparent key source, that they were hiding the fact that even the key source had related to them that the contents of the syllabus so say were fabricated, but a court yes. signed off on those warrants. So I'm not going to reflexively just trust a warrant because a judge signed off on it.
4: Well, you don't have to reflexively do that, but what level of standard would you say is enough for you to, to say that there's an evidentiary basis? I mean, the Trump campaign or the Trump camp hasn't really contested the actual fine, the actual stuff removed and it's been reported out and I just don't see how that's equivalent to what you're saying. It's just not the same thing. What level of standard would you have to have in order to say, okay,
0: this is real? Well, the standard I have is I wanna see something. Uh, the fact What do that you wanna see? You can't well, re- I, I, again, documents. As I, said, as I said, I'd like to know, the, for example, the nature of these documents, like what they pertain to, and what is the basis for the Justice Department believing that Trump has mishandled them. We don't know that. We don't know. For example, we haven't seen the affidavit that was filed and that um, a judge said he wants to release at least partially uh, to support the suspicions against Trump. Let's see that.
4: I think some details of the affidavit were released, but affidavits are not usually released because it details parts of the investigation. I mean, do you think that an investigation can be done uh, ethically
0: completely we, in the public eye? We saw the Carter Page uh, affidavits uh, and those were shown to be fra- fraudulent. So yeah. based on that experience, I think we should see look, I understand you have to hide certain material for sources and methods and um, and look, if the government really has a case and they, and they say, look, if you release this, this will compromise our whole investigation, then fine don't release it. But then, don't expect me to reflexively believe it if you can't show us the content.
4: I think healthy skepticism is warranted, but I just don't see how you can compare it to something where there's, you know, where you say that there's, it's just completely fraudulent when there's been documents that have been released and there's been no contestation. I didn't Trump. say,
0: I didn't say this case is fraudulent. I said, But you're based, comparing it to Russiagate. Where you I said, said, I said, based on, uh, there's a difference between asserting something is fraudulent. And saying that there's a history of fraud, that thus raises suspicions on events that come afterwards, including this one. There's a difference. I, I said, and I, I said in this phone call, I said in this in this uh, episode earlier, and uh, in, in my article too, that it's possible something will come out that shows the FBI actually has something. I'm just not ready to believe it until I see something more concrete. So
4: Fox News um, reported out from an anonymous source that Hunter Biden has been under investigation by the DOJ since 2018. Do you think that that's a valid investigation?
0: Do I think the Hunter Biden investigation is, is valid? Well, I think the investigation of him for tax fraud is valid. That seems to be uh, pretty legit because he's basically even admitted to um, he's admitted to it. I, I believe he even. Yeah, the Trump admitted to it, too. It seems like you have different
4: standards for different types of investigations, depending on who's the target. I don't think I do. I,
0: Trump Did Trump admit to tax fraud? He admitted and, to okay, taking documents. I mean, listen, listen, I would totally, based on Trump's business history, I think a, a tax fraud investigation would be totally fair. What I don't think is fair is investigating him as a Russian agent.
4: I'm not talking about the Russian
0: agent. Okay, well, just, that's, that's what I was talking about.
4: Yeah, but we're talking about the the, the the classified document one and you're comparing yeah, sure. it to Russiagate. And I just but, don't see how you can have, I think that those are two different, you're using two different, it just doesn't seem
0: comparable to the me. The Bureau has a history of fraud against someone. Then that fraud is relevant to assessing the merits of the current enterprise. It doesn't mean that this current investigation is illegitimate. And I've never said that it was. I've never said that it was Russia. I've said if the last six years of these intrusions into the, the democratic process by the FBI or any guide, then I'd say then, the, then it's not very promising. It, it doesn't mean that it, there's nothing there. I, I, You know, things could change. I, I've made that pretty clear. Okay. Well, you know, with the Hillary, you mentioned the Hillary Clinton one and that
4: there was a basis for that because they took the server. Well, the equivalent of taking the server is taking the classified documents. So I just don't see how you can say, "Okay, yes,
0: but that's okay. Yes. But, but but you're presuming that those classes, but there's something improper about them taking those documents when presidents take classified records all the time. That's actually,
4: no, they don't. That's not true. How can you
0: say that they take, I mean, is that legal to take the documents? If you're a former president, you have a right to have access to your records. You do. You do. Really?
4: Yes. That's not true. You can't take classified documents as a former president and
0: store them in your personal residence. That's absolutely false. Okay, I think we'll have to disagree on that, and uh, and uh, maybe you can fact check it while I take other calls, and you can come <laughs> back and and tell me if if I've gotten something wrong. But as I understand it, presidents have the right to their records, um, classified documents outside of the White House or from special
4: uh, you know facilities that are managed by the government. That's not true.
0: Okay. I think it is true, and I think that certainly there is some provision allowed for presidents to access their own records, including stuff that other uh, that might be considered classified elsewhere. But you can go look that up, and if you okay. got it wrong, you can, you can come back and, and correct me. All right, we'll do. Thank you. Okay, Scotty.
5: Hello, Aaron. Can you hear me? Yeah. Hey. Yes. Um. I wanted to say I don't. I think we've been to the, you know, impeachment thing, uh, series, and even the January 6th, like, I don't, I just don't see anything coming of this, and I think this will s- still end up being a waste of time. At best, they'll probably prevent him from uh, running for president, but all that'll do is just rile up his base, and so... Yeah, it's it's a really sad turn of events because all it does is just hurts the public and Um I wanted to uh, give a couple of points. Uh, I don't know. Why I got like eight uh, calls behind me. Um, do you think that this whole period of Russia Gate, which I believe is like the second, uh, like or third, uh, yeah, second uh, McCarthy's area? Uh, They'll look back at this time period, like in, like in journalism classes, like uh, <laughs> they'll point to Rachel Maddow and the Young Turks as of what not to do in journalism. Because like you've seen these like liberal leaning institutions um, pretty much lose their minds with the emergence of uh, Donald Trump and it's. The difference what I see is like with anti communism and uh McCarthyism uh, this year is like it's that i think it's more so like just rank party par- part uh, partisanship and like like uh, there's no other way to put it uh and also like the um it exposed the p m c class to actually really uh see you know what's going on out there and like how people like what are people's like general feelings about politics uh which is why they see donald trump and, and i don't particularly care for trump uh, uh, myself but like a lot of people of them didn't see him coming and also i will say i, I heard uh I seen that exchange you had with uh the vanguard over your uh umx is uh exchange with Don McGregor, I thought that was really kind of odd of them to actually point that out, which, like, I saw that interview when it happened, it didn't seem that much of an issue to me, which, the only thing I could think of is, like, they saw Jack Jackson Co interview him, but, which they have their own little issue, but other than that, you know, that's it, but what are your feelings?
0: Yeah, well, look, I'm gonna go on the Vanguard tomorrow and uh, discuss whatever issues they had with that interview and anything else that they object to and what I've uh, done. But uh, in general, look, you know, I wish that people in the military had the worldview of Cornel West, right? Or Noam Chomsky, but they don't. I mean, that's to be in the military. You're probably, especially at a high level, like Colonel McGregor, you're probably not going to have the worldview of Cornel West and Noam Chomsky. So we have to deal with, people as they are. And Doug McGregor has some views I don't agree with, but we were talking about, this was a few months ago now, the Ukraine proxy war. Doug McGregor on the Ukraine proxy war, first of all, is a rare voice of dissent from right inside the military establishment. You know, He's an accomplished military veteran, a lot of insight, also a big critic of the military industrial complex, which he says is a major driver of the proxy war, and also correctly predicted that Russia would invade. He did on my show, Pushback, uh, a month or so before Russia invaded when, when very few people uh, did not make that prediction. At least, you know, I didn't. Um, I was, so he turned out to be right. So uh, I'm going to shun this guy and I'm going to um, uh, get into a debate with him because we disagree on other issues at a time when the U S is engaged in this catastrophic proxy war. I, that's a criticism I don't understand. And what's funny is, you know, the, the, the particular clip I was criticized for in this McGregor interview was like, he says that the U.S. doesn't intentionally kill civilians in war, and he, he mentioned Vietnam. And I challenged him on that. I said, "Actually, I don't. I take issue with that." And I raised an example of Cambodia. I could have raised many more uh, examples, but that's Cambodia is what came to mind. And he said, "Well, you can have that debate with somebody else." So I said, "Okay, you know, fine," because we wanted to have him talk about the Ukraine proxy war. So basically, was I supposed to then pause my interview with this decorated colonel with all this insight into Ukraine and? uh, the thing that's actually going on to talk about a war from 50 years ago, it just doesn't make any sense to me. But uh, anyway, um, that's, it's fine. People have the right to disagree, but I, I, I also found that critique pretty strange. Yeah. But, uh,
5: I was going to ask again, like, uh, what, what do you think, um, like you're a What do you think of the people see about this era of like uh Russia gate? And what? It oh, I not know. Journalism. Like-
0: I, I have no idea. I mean, look, uh, our propaganda system is so strong that some myths just endure forever, you know. And you'd think by now, Ratchet was so humiliating that one day it will, as you say, be taught as a case study in disinformation and just complete media abdication of all of its basic duties. But who knows? I, I have no idea. I have no idea. Yeah. It'd be nice, though. It'd be nice. Scott, thanks all for right. the call. Appreciate it. Eric. Hi, uh, hi, Aaron. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. How are you? Oh, we lost Eric. All right. Andrew.
6: Hi, Aaron. Um, hi there. I was wondering if you saw the article by, believe it or not, the Kiev Independent about suicides, harass, uh, suicide missions, harassment. Uh, I'm trying to find the, my iPad just died. I'm trying to find the exact title. But basically, it's a story about the International Legion. Here it is. Uh, The International Legion, written by the Kiev Independent, talking about the problems with it because of how corrupt it was. And according to uh, an editor's note at the top of the article, the Kiev Independent says that they're writing this because the the fighters in the International Legion – Say they reported these crimes to Ukrainian law enforcement and were ignored or received threats, and so they came to the Kiev Independent as a last resort. And that um, soldiers who pointed at the problems within the unit of the Legion claim they received threats for speaking up. Have, have you seen this?
0: I have not seen this. No, no.
6: So, one other interesting detail is that it talks about how. Of these 1,500 members of the uh, International Legion, about half are under the control of the military, and half are under the control of the GRU, which I guess is their military intelligence or some equivalent. And apparently, they're pointing at the one, uh, the GRU section, as the one that has the problems. This I find interesting on the heels of other information, like the fact that there's been a uh, SBU chief who also just apparently killed himself, uh, the head of uh, the SBU, in, uh I can't pronounce this, I can't think of it off the top of my head, but it's a, the oblast south of Ukraine, uh, Kiev, the oblast south of Kiev, the head of the SBU apparently killed himself, and all the infighting with Zelensky and the SBU, and now they're pointing at the International Legion having all these problems, um, and it makes me wonder, like, I don't know, what's your take on this? I don't want to spoil it by giving mine and, you know, taint your mind or whatever.
0: Well, um, on the question of foreign fighters, I I have seen the uh, reporting of Lindsay Snell at the Grey Zone, and she paints a very damning picture of, uh, you know, foreign fighters coming from around the world, including Nazis. Um, And uh, Seth Harper, Rolling Stone, reported similar stuff as well. So that's about all I know about it.
6: It just surprised me that the Kiev Independent would write this, and it makes me think that it's either so bad they literally can't ignore it. And they're really getting these stories from people that uh, they're saying they're being threatened by Ukrainian law enforcement. Uh, Or maybe it's part of a political divide in Ukraine where they're trying to blame certain parts of the intelligence services because there's a political battle between Zelensky. I mean, he's firing people left and right. He fired the head of the SBU. He fired a bunch of heads of regional SBU. They're killing themselves. They're getting blamed for, Abuse and essentially terrorism. They're saying these guys in the International Legion are looting people, uh, are harassing female soldiers, among other things, conducting suicide missions. And that some of these people are like Polish milit- uh Polish mob mobsters. Essentially, one of these leaders of a unit is essentially going under an alias and is just like a, a mob guy apparently, and. The other heads of the International Legion units apparently just kind of like shut up and go along with it. So it's pretty interesting that the Kiev is talking about this. I just thought uh, maybe there would be signs that there's more of a schism forming than would appear, uh, along with the fact that all these increasingly seemingly, uh, what would you say, like ratcheting up tensions or increasing escalation, with the assassinations in Russia right now, apparently of Mm -hmm. Dugin's Mm -hmm. daughter and then the hits in Crimea.
0: Yep. Um, And Zelensky has fired some key people and intelligence posts, which shows that there's some disarray. And early on in the war, there was the uh, killing by Ukraine of one of its own negotiators. who they said was a Russian spy, which I think turned out to be true. So um, yeah, look, um, uh, but it's, you know, I don't, I don't follow the Ukrainian side uh, so closely. So if you could send me the article, uh, through, through, through column. There's a messaging function. There's there's a messaging function. I'd appreciate it. I'll do that. Thanks for
6: your time. I just thought it might be a sign that things are going to continue escalating.
0: Yeah. Thanks. Thank you. Okay. Mark.
1: Hello. Can you hear me? Yes. Um, kind of a, a little bit off topic, but still talking about a national leader. Um, as you can, here well i've i've rung up before and i'm from from australia but um our p m has uh well our x p m scott morrison that the conservative uh guy who who's just been voted out it's come to light that he was he'd basically taken over um five uh ministerial portfolios um and you know, important ones and was basically being his own uh, shadow government um, in secret. And it's, you know, it's just crazy. Um, And, uh, you know, it's probably, it might have had something to do with, I think one of the portfolios was defence. So it might have had something to do with you know, AUKUS and um, you know the, the 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 U.S. submarine deal. Who knows? Uh, it was also done in in uh, collaboration with I, I think it was the Attorney General and also the 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 the, the gov- governor uh, of, of Australia. But um yeah, I, I, I just thought I'd I'd, I'd raise that because it's it's pretty scary um i mean you know it's not obviously it mustn't be baked into our constitution that 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 can't be done but uh yeah like just you know it it sort of echoes um the uh sort of weird well it's not really statecraft that's going on in the world but um I, I, I was just gonna ask whether you're aware of it and what you think of it.
0: Not aware of it, sorry.
1: No worries.
0: Yeah. All right, Mark, thanks for the call. Iggy, Iggy, are you there?
7: Hi, hi, Aaron, can you hear me now? Sorry, sorry, yes, a, a bit of a fat finger. Um, just going back to the Trump issue, um, I'm wondering, I'm gonna sound naive about this um, from a perspective of certainly the legal process in America, But if you go back to what Binney and Snowden and others have revealed about the Internet being completely recorded, every device being hackable, uh, CIA, Vault 7, WikiLeaks um, leaks about that capability. What they suggest is that essentially any law enforcement agency in the U.S. or intelligence service, once it acquires a target, it's able to go in and mine that target's um, entire Internet communications profile. And from that, you can reverse engineer probable cause. That was a fundamental tenet of the major objections these guys had to this system. And they said that that was how it was being used. Now, if you apply that to a target like Trump and you're saying, you know, somebody's accusing him of essentially being a foreign intel agent via Russiagate or that he has effectively stolen classified documentation, then surely by virtue of the power of this system, You've actually got um, legal investigatory clearance to then go and use that system to some extent, maybe the full extent, and effectively find out everything you need to know about Donald Trump. Now, if, you really, if, this, if the system really has that power, how the hell can it be so hard for them to pin any shit on him?
0: Well, it's been hard for them because they've tried to... Um... You know,
7: pursue the most ridiculous
0: angles like that. He was a Russian agent. So much weight was put behind that and so much energy and they wouldn't let it go. I mean, they knew early on that they had nothing when it comes to Russiagate, but they just thought that they could still make it stick somehow. So they you know, even people in the top floor of the FBI intervened when lower level case agents were trying to shut down, for example, the investigation of Michael Flynn, which is part of Russiagate. Mm -hmm. The uh, top floor intervened. Peter Strzok intervened to keep it open. They just thought they could use this to undermine him as a president and box him in. To a certain extent, they were successful. Certainly when it comes to Russia policy, they were successful. I mean, Trump talked about getting along with Russia, and that was that didn't happen at all. He was arguably more hawkish on Russia than Obama was in policy. So uh, to a certain extent, policy-wise, Russia Gate had its desired uh, impact.
7: Yeah. Okay, so so I I completely agree with, with with you in the sense that what I see this as being is that assuming that what Binion and the capa- the capabilities of the surveillance system being uh, told us told to us to be is that all of this is nothing to do with whether anybody did or didn't do anything. It's simply about get creating a news narrative that ultimately swings a vote or swings kind of perceptive behaviors and behaviors that come from perception. And um, there will never and does never have to be anything real. It's simply let's just let's just invent a shot that we can create noise from for a while. And then when that fails, nobody really is going to be held to account for the failure. And then we'll just do it again and do it again. And that's simply the theatrical counter attack on Donald Trump. And it could be anyone. It could be the next target. It could be, you know, whichever whichever political up-and-comer you don't like. It could have been torti Gabbard, for example.
0: Uh, I totally agree. I totally agree. Iggy, thanks for the call. Yeah. Okay. Cave. Cave. And if you were there, there is a microphone button. I think it's in the middle of your screen now. You press to unmute yourself. And if not, we'll go on to Anthony. Okay, Anthony, hello.
5: Hey,
8: what's up? <laughs> what's going on? What do you think the chance, let's say hypothetically, Trump uh, did have whatever top secret documents or whatever? And uh, do, I don't know if you ever heard of this thing where uh, Judge Andrew Napolitano, you know, Fox News guy, he said that. You know, the something about the JFK files were supposed to be released, uh, you know, a couple times, but it's been delayed, delayed. And then during Trump's time and he delayed it and Napolitano and Trump were friends at the time. And he and he said, Trump, why don't you release the documents? And Trump said, uh, Andrew, if you saw what was in it, uh, you wouldn't release it either or something like that. So. <laughs> just a little fun conspiracy idea <laughs> something like that or even worse what if it was a little uh, ufo files could be
0: <laughs> yeah who knows you know who knows a lot of people hope that it had stuff on jfk and his assassination Remember, trump was going to declassify that but then he didn't at the last second who knows you know it's all speculation all right anthony thanks for the call and pierre is back pierre is back so let's see if he's found an answer Hello, Pierre. Hi, can you hear me? Yes. Okay.
4: So on archives.gov, it says that the Presidential Records Act of 1978 establishes that records automatically transfer into the legal custody of the archivist as soon as the president leaves office, which is what happened with Obama. You know, Trump said, oh, well, you know, he took records, but it was with NARA, and NARA put out a statement with that. So there is a law there. Um, like I said, you presumed innocent until proven guilty. I don't think that should be contested. I think if you're saying, oh, he's guilty now, that's irresponsible. But there is a law and records have indicated that um, there is some basis to it. I think healthy skepticism of the FBI should be there, but it should also be consistent. I think that, you know, at one part in your article, you say that, you know, the FBI shouldn't mess around with domestic politics, but. That's what do you think about what happened in 2016 when they opened up the email investigation just days before the election?
0: Do you think that was wrong? Yeah, I I thought they should not have done that. Okay, Uh, that that was inappropriate. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. Nice talking to you. Likewise. Okay. Uh. All right, Rodrigo.
9: Can you hear me? Yes. Hi. Uh, I just I had a quick one today. Um. I don't know if you know Jack Posobiec from Human Events Daily. He um, he has access to the Trump world. Uh, something he's aware of is that the reason the FBI conducted his investigation is, or the uh, the raid on Trump's house, is because they wanted the they wanted to get the documents that show why the FBI initially opened the the Russia Gate investigation. And uh, I was wondering, do you think that would include the uh, CrowdStrike paper? Um, Investigation papers that never, never got released, but I believe the FBI used it as a initial like catalyst to start the investigation. We were left in the dark on
0: what exactly they found. Yeah. Or... Well, yeah. You know, I've written a lot about this. I've tried to FOIA um, get under the Freedom of Information Act the CrowdStrike reports that were definitely used by the FBI. Uh, we know that from uh, the te- from from congressional testimony that has been released. The FBI definitely relied on these reports. We can't see them though. Uh, when I tried to FOIA them, the FBI only the, the yeah the FBI only acknowledged one of these reports. Uh, when I know they have at least three, I know that I know that CrowdStrike submitted at least three reports to the FBI. So the FBI wouldn't even acknowledge the existence of two out of the three reports that it used. And when they returned what they were willing to release to me, it was the cover page. That's it. That's right. <laughs> so. Um, Yes, I and it's, crazy, it's unbelievable to me that those reports still haven't been released because, again, the reports of a private company that is working, by the way, for the Clinton campaign uh, is not national security information. That's a private company. And at this point now, this is uh, six years later, why are those reports still secret? Why can't we see what CrowdStrike claimed to see about Russian... About Russian um, theft of the of the DNC server and DNC emails, uh, especially when we know now from CrowdStrike's testimony under oath, when Sean Henry came in to testify in 2017, he admitted that actually CrowdStrike had no evidence that these alleged Russian hackers actually stole anything That's off you- of the server. And we didn't get that testimony until nearly three years later in May 2020. So it's unbelievable to me. We still don't know... Uh, what CrowdStrike actually saw. And we still haven't seen the reports that they wrote and that the FBI used.
9: Right. Um, I saw Jimmy Dore cover that the uh, FBI conducting the raid, uh, it's the same um, uh, the same uh, Peter Stroke's team, I guess, that conducted the, uh, started the whole Russiagate. I worry that, uh, you know, from the history of the FBI, they do some pretty nefarious things. And one of the things they've been uh one of the things they do is when it comes to like records that could get them in trouble, they they would rather take the heat of destroying classified or papers, take the heat from that rather than actually face the consequences of what's in those papers. And I worry that that's what could happen here.
0: If do you think that's a possibility? I think anything's a possibility. And um, look, I think one possible reason for this is that, Basically, Trump, you know, as we know, Trump thought at least that he declassified some Russiagate records before he left office, took them with him. And this could be the FBI trying to get them back so that they don't get public. And the FBI has gone to great lengths to keep Russiagate records from the public, uh, as we can see by the refusal even to release anything about CrowdStrike. So all that's very unusual and understandably raises suspicions about what else they want to hide. Right on, Eric. Uh, well, yeah, thanks for your time. I hope we learn more soon enough. <laughs> me too. Thanks, Rodrigo. Thank okay, you.
9: Eric.
10: Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay. Uh, the app is acting funny, but anyways, uh, so I wanted to um, mention because you brought up the Vanguard thing and um, there's a very rude term for what I think they're doing to you. Um, it's called dick riding. Uh, can I say that?
0: <laughs> yeah, sure. That's that's permitted.
10: Interview Douglas McGregor. They can do it. You know, it's like what do they do all day? Is watch other people do things and then criticize? I mean, but anyways, so I'm sure you're gonna uh have a very good discussion with them. So, <laughs> for by all means, but you're uh, it's very good of it's a you're a saint for you know putting up with a lot of stuff that I would uh, I wouldn't be able to. So I just want to give you credit always on that. But um hey, I just want to ask kind of a uh, conceptual question here out of left field, but are you familiar with this term, anarcho-tyranny?
0: Anarcho-tyranny. I'm not familiar with that term, no.
10: It's something I came across from, you know, uh, it's from a right-wing thinker, uh, Sam Francis. uh, But basically, you know, it was funny because I was in a space on Twitter and somebody mentioned inverted totalitarianism. Um, which, you know, comes from Sheldon Wallen, right? I think um, Chris Hedges cites him a lot. But basically, you know, the corporate structure and, um, you know, that type of thing and everything not being on the open. But and I was sort of marrying that with this concept of a narco tyranny that Sam Francis has, where basically he says, like, the government, you know, it will only exist to punish you that that's the only function it will serve. And then you think about, like, for example, if you're a shop owner and, you know, you fight off a crim- uh, someone who's robbing you in self-defense, you know, actually you're the one who's going to be, you know, prosecuted. Or for example, you know, if it's the whistleblowers who get prosecuted and not the people who actually commit the crime. I don't know, it's just trying to, trying to put all that together and trying to think about, you know, it's one of those things that you have to notice in American society that, you know, it seems like, Like when people say, for example, you know, we're descending into fascism, it's like, you know, fascism has the connotation that like the trains are going to be running on time and that there's going to be like a strong national character or something, you know, whether or not that's actually true. But that's the connotation. But really, I feel like it's not going to be fascism because you're you're not going to get any kind of like, you know, it's going to be more like the anarcho-tyranny where they're going to have the bad parts and, you know, it's going to serve an elite. But um, there's not going to be the kind of um, national mission or messianic complex or whatever that a true fascist state would have. But, um, you know, in any case, I I was curious if you had any, um, if you had uh, ever come across that in your, in your thinking, but um, anyways, have a good
0: one. Thanks Eric. Yeah, no, I haven't come across that. I don't, I don't read too much theory, you know, I'd like to one day, but it's been a long time since I dabbled in that kind of stuff, but that's interesting. So thank you. Okay, Brady. And Brady, if you're there, speak up. Because I know you've spoken on here before. So hopefully this app is working for you. All right, Brady, we will come back to you. Come back in the chat. All right, Fred. Hi, Aaron. Hi there.
11: Hi. Um, I didn't know you were a movie star. So I found your video, Discordia, like a movie on YouTube. Um, Half of that movie is not playing. I don't... I don't know why, like, the first half plays and then oh. the last
0: half doesn't play. Well, good. I'm happy to hear that. Why? <laughs> why? <laughs> <laughs> well, for those who don't know, uh, when I was uh, a much younger man, 20 years ago, I was in a uh, documentary at my uh, university called uh, Discordia, and it's about student activists um, over the Israel-Palestine issue at, m- at my school, Concordia. And I was one of the uh, three kind of... Characters uh, uh, featured. They followed me around, and um, it's you know I haven't watched it since then because it's incredibly embarrassing for me. So honestly, you reporting that it's unwatchable on YouTube, I'm I'm thankful. I ble- bless YouTube or whoever whoever's responsible for that. I'm I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that. So thank you. Uh, you've made my day, Fred. Honestly, this is great news for me. <laughs> I wanted to know the ending, though. I wanted to know what
11: really ended because I was waiting for natalia to see what happened and what was going on, but. Yeah. Okay, that that's interesting. Yeah. And then one last question. I was just um thinking about this stuff. With the African people stuff, um that they got raided, if I don't know if they took any donations, but if they find out that they took any donations from Russia, wouldn't that be bad for them? Like I was just I know they didn't want to admit anything about taking donations or contributing, but do yeah. they have any proof about that?
0: Well, we'll see. I mean, the problem is when you're accused like this, you're put in a tough position because they haven't even been charged yet. They're unindicted co-conspirators, which puts them in sort of a bit of a limbo. So I think they're waiting to see uh, if they get charged or not, and then maybe they'll say more. Um, And look, uh, you know, what can I say? Um, The U.S. spends billions of dollars around the world funding... Movements in countries that it wants wants to destabilize including in Ukraine and in Russia and so both these governments do it, and um, I know that members of this group went to Russia for a conference. I do know that they did that mm-hmm. uh, as for funding i I have no idea um, and the indictment that I read of this Russian national mentioned some money, but it's to me it's a bit fuzzy, and I just don't really take what the government says no. at, at face value you know so i think we yeah have to wait and see wait. whatever and so. i kind of agree agree with
11: his um his counter to it, saying that like we black people have reasons we have our brains and we can come up with reasons to not like what our government is doing so you saying i took donations from this person so they are trying to influence me that's i don't think that's like a big that's reasonable i don't think that's a concrete um argument but we'll see hopefully um they are good and nothing bad happens to them because I was really scared for, for what's happening to them. But okay. Yo, yeah, thanks a lot,
0: Aaron. Thank you. Thank you, Fred. Okay. Omar. Hey, Aaron. Hi.
12: Hey, it's been a while. Um, I So I came across your dad. I know this is not political at all, but I came across your dad, I think first when I saw a clip of him talking about, um, addiction on the Zeitgeist movie, the first one. I don't know if you were aware of that movie at all or that piece by Peter Joseph.
0: Uh, I yeah, I know Zeitgeist. I uh, and I know that my dad was in it, and I know a lot of people have heard about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Um.
12: So yeah, I'm a big I'm a big fan of the Mate family, and I was wondering when you're going to have your dad back on. Uh, I think you had him early on, like when you started on Colin and I think you mentioned that you would have him like on again. I, I, Cause every time I hear him, I'm kind of mesmerized by, huh. um, by him. Yeah. So, <laughs>
0: well, look, he has a book coming out next month uh, called the myth of normal. That is, I think his magnum opus. It's uh, I think it's great. You know, obviously I'm biased, but um, so maybe I'll do something with him around that he's also going to be interviewed in a lot of places. So I don't think he'll be needing the publicity from me, but oh, um, yeah. I, uh, nope. you know, so, you know, it's more when we both have the time and, uh, you know, so we'll, we'll do something. I, I just don't know. Why. I don't have any, yeah. plans. When but, when but is the book
12: coming out?
0: It comes out on September 13th. Okay. Um, and, uh, Uh, Yeah, it comes and which and then he'll be he'll be doing a whole bunch of stuff on that. Yeah,
12: I would I would love to interact with him and you uh, like on call in. So yeah, yeah. If you I'll try to make it happen. I'll try to make I'll
0: try to make it happen. I I just you know uh, he's going to be busy at least the next little Yeah, yeah. We'll see. Understandable. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. All right, Mark. Aaron, can you hear hear me? Yep.
13: Yep. Great. Um, yeah, I follow you on Useful Idiots, and I'm, I'm a, I love Jimmy Dore, and I'm a subscriber to Jimmy Dore, so I always catch all of his shows, and it's, it's always fun to see you on there. Um, first, I just want to say uh, free Julian Assange. For any, all these people worrying about uh, uh, stupid deep state documents uh, or FBI bullshit, I mean... To me, that's the biggest thing people who actually, if they care about law, should be worried about since it's, you know, the direct threat to uh, freedom of the press. But um, and uh, on Ukraine, it's like I follow the Duran. I'm not sure if you watch them, but uh, Alexander Makouris, he's this Greek guy who lives in London. And to me, they have the best reporting on Ukraine, them and the new Atlas, Brian Brian uh, Beckter, I think it is, who was an ex-Marine. So I, I encourage everybody who wants to understand what's happening in Ukraine to follow them. Um, so I, anyway, so I wanted to say that. But as far as the FBI, I'm 70 years old. I was at the University of Wisconsin when they murdered um, Fred Hampton. And I remember watching on a film, a, a underground film that came out not long after that. Um, you know, showing uh, a hand rah hand and then with the FBI murdering uh, Fred Hampton with the 60 bullets they shot into the, his apartment. So, I mean, you know, in, you know, the FBI, they've always been a corrupt, uh, corrupt, murdering, horrible organization. And of course, I would hope everyone should want them to be disbanded. Um, and, uh, so that I'm, I could I could go on. I was living in China for, for a couple of years. I had to re- return because of COVID um, in 2020. So I know a lot about China also. And I'm I'm really I, I came back to the United States in this this whole thing with um, the Trump, you know, the RussiaGate stuff. It blows my mind that uh, it, the American people are so propagandized. And it, it was all about trying to start war with, with Russia. And they do the same thing with trying to start war with China. I love China. China's a great, actually a great place to live. And uh, it's so much more advanced in the United States now as far as infrastructure. And um, anyway, so yeah. I could go on. Why don't you just stop me
0: and you can tell me. Something. Mark, uh, well, you will be our last caller of the night. So thanks very much for sharing your thoughts on, on many topics. I appreciate it. Okay. Um, all right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in and spending some time with me. Appreciate everyone who listened and uh, called in and I'll see you next time. Have a great rest of your day. Bye everybody.